barbary bush and eight other stories for girls by susan coolidge the engineer's story this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the engineer's story this is about it said john scott the engineer as a train slowly crested a long gradual grade you're atop of the rocky mountains now ma'am emily vaughan looked to the left and to the right and was conscious of a feeling of disappointment she had pictured the top of the rocky mountains as something quite different from this here were no frowning heights or sudden gulfs only a wide rolling plateau some distant peaks which did not look very high and far ahead a glimpse of lower levels running down into plains it seemed hardly worth while to have come so far for so little really she said but where are the mountains they don't look nearly as high as they did yesterday naturally ma'am responded the engineer things don't appear so high when you're as high as they are we're atop you know but there's no look-off no wonderful distance as from the top of mount washington i confess i am disappointed it's kind of queer said john scott with a dry chuckle how folks from the east keep alludin to that here little hill as if it were the standard of measurement we don't think so much of it this way why ma'am you're about three thousand feet higher at this minute than if you were at top of that little shruck of mount washington that they think so much of miss vaughan smiled but she experienced a shock nevertheless the new england mind does not easily accustom itself to hearing its sacred mountain thus lightly spoken against have you ever seen mount washington she asked oh bless you yes replied john scott cheerfully i was raised over fryberg and grew up alongside of it i thought it was a pretty big concern when i was a boy but now he closed the sentence with a short expressive laugh miss vaughan changed the subject she was not offended she had grown to like this rough good-natured engineer in the course of the three days journey during which favored as a relative of one of the directors of the road she had several times been privileged to ride as now in the engineer's cab for a better view of the country have you been long on this road she asked pretty near since it opened i run the third through the train that come out from chicago and i haven't been off the line since winter or summer except for these three months when i was laid up with a broken leg this must look very differently in winter said miss vaughan noting the treeless distances and the snows still glinting on the higher peaks to the left you may believe it does the first year when the snow sheds wasn't built it was terrible i was running that train that stuck in the snow seven days perhaps you'll remember about it 
it was all in the papers i shan't forget that not if i live to be as old as my grandfather and he didn't die till he was ninety years old tell me about it said miss bunn persuasively seating herself on the high side bench of the cab with that air of attention which was so enticing to the story-teller amusements are few and far between in the long monotony of an overland journey to california besides which miss vaughn dearly loved a story there ain't much to tell said john scott with something of the feeling which prompts the young vocalist to complain of hoarseness i ain't any hand at tellin things either then won by miss vaughn's appealing eyes he continued we ran all fair on time till we was about two hundred miles beyond omaha then the snow began it didn't seem much at first the lone folk in the train rather liked it they were all crowded to the windows to see and the children hurrahed anything seemed a pleasant change after the sagebrush i suppose but as it went to fallin and the drifts grew deep and the cars had to run slow the older ones began to look serious and i can tell you that we who had the charge of the train felt so we was just between two of the feedin stations and we put on all the steam we could hopin to push through to where provisions could be got in the case we had to stop but twarn't no use the snow kept comin i never see it come so the flakes looked as big as saucers and the drifts piled so quick that when we finally stuck in about ten minutes no one could see out the windows the train would have been clear buried over if the brakemen and the porters hadn't gone over the whole length over the roofs every half hour swept it off with brooms and shovels we had a lot of good shovels aboard by good luck or else nothing could have saved us from being banked up outright but it was terrible hard work i can tell you there twarn't more laughing among the passengers by the time it come to that and the children stopped hurrahing oh the poor little things what did they do were there many aboard was there plenty for them to eat that was the worst of it there wasn't plenty for any one to eat we had stuck just midway of the feedin station and there twasn't a great deal of anything on board besides what the passengers had in their lunch baskets one lady she had a tin of condensed milk and they mixed it up for the babies there was two of em and so they got on pretty well but there was another five children not babies but quite little and i don't know what they would have done if it weren't for that young lady the young lady said miss vaughn looking up with some surprise for with the words a curious tremble had come into the engineer's voice and a dark flush into his bronzed face what young lady was that it was a moment or two before john scott answered the question i don't know what she was called he said slowly i never knew she was the only one on the train so we just called her the young lady she was traveling alone our folks had asked the conductor to look after her she was going out to some relative of hers her brother i guess who was sick down to sacramento that's how she'd come to be there were the children under her care no ma'am she was all alone 
as I told you, but she took them under her care from the very first. They had their fathers and mothers along, three of them had at least, and the other two had their mother and a nurse girl, but somehow no one but the young lady seemed to be able to do anything with them. The poor little ones was half-starved, you see, and there wasn't anything to amuse them in the dark car, and one of em, who was sickly, fretted all day and most all night, and the mother didn't seem to have no faculty or no backbone to her. But whenever the young lady came around, that sick one and all the rest would stop crying, and just seem as chipper as if it was summertime outdoors, and the whole train full of candy. I don't see how she did it, he went on meditatively, throwing a shovel full of coal in the furnace door. Some women is made that way, I suppose. As soon as we see how things were going, and how bad they was likely to be, that girl kind of set herself to help along. She had a mighty gentle way with her, too. You never have guessed that she was so plucky. Plucky by it, George. I never saw anything like her pluck. Was she pretty? asked Miss Vaughan, urged by a truly feminine curiosity. Well, I don't know if you'd call her so or not. We didn't think much how she looked after the first. She was a slender-built girl, and her face sort of kind and bright, both to me. Her voice was a soft, well, as soft as a voice can be, and it kind of sang when she felt happy. She looked you straight in the eyes when she spoke. I don't believe the worst man that ever lived could have told that girl a lie if it had been to save his life. Her hair was brown. She was different from girls in general somehow. I think we may say that she was pretty, observed Miss Vaughan with a little smile. I ain't so sure of that. There's plenty of ladies come over the road since that. I suppose folks would say better looking than she was. But I never see any face quite like hers. It was still like a lake, and you seemed to feel as if there were depth to it. And the farther you went down, the sweeter it got. She never made any rustling when she walked. She wasn't that kind. Another pause, which Miss Vaughan was careful not to break. I don't know what them children would a done without her, went on the engineer, as if talking to himself, then with sudden energy. I don't know what any of us would a done without her. The only trouble was that she couldn't be everywhere at once. There was a sick lady in the drawing room at the end of one of the Pullman's, she had weak lungs and was going out to California for her health. Well, the cold and the snow brought on a hemorrhage. That was the second day after we was blockaded. There wasn't no doctor on board, and her husband was mighty scared. He come through the front car to find the conductor, looking as pale as a ghost. My wife's a-dying, said he. Ain't there no medical man on this train? And when we said, no, he just gave a groan. Then she must die, he said. Great heavens, why did I bring her on this fatal journey? Perhaps the young lady will have some remedies. 
suggested one of the porters for we'd all got into the way already of turning to the young lady whenever things are wrong well i went for her and you never see any one so level-headed as she seemed to be she knew just what to do and she had the right medicine in her back and in less than an hour that poor lady was quite comfortable and her husband the most relieved man that there ever was then the young lady come along to where i was standin there wasn't nothing for me to do but i was waitin for i didn't know but there might be and said she mr scott i am growing anxious about the fuel do you think there is plenty to last suppose we were kept here for a week now just think of it not one of us dumb fools had thought of that you see we was expected to be relieved from hour to hour for we had telegraphed both ways and the snow had stopped by that time and none of us had any notion that it was going to be the job it was to dig us out only the young lady had the sense to remember that it might take longer than we was calculating on says i if we are kept here a week there won't be a shovelful of coals left for any of the fires let alone the engine then don't you think says she in her soft voice that it would be wise to plan to get all the passengers together in one car and keep a good fire up there and let the other stoves go out it's no matter if we are a little crowded says she well of course it was the only thing to do as we see at once when it was put into our heads we took the car the sick lady was in so she'd not have to be disturbed and we made up beds for the children and somehow all the passengers managed to pack in train hands and all it was a tight squeeze but that didn't matter so much because the weather was so awfully cold that was the way i had come to see so much of the young lady i hadn't anything to keep me about the engine so i kind of detailed myself off to wait on her she was busy all day long doing things for the rest it's queer how some people's characters come out such times we got to know all about each other some stopped surin and mammon and being polite and just showed for what they were worth the selfish ones and the shirks and the cowards and the mean cusses who all wanted to blame someone besides the almighty for sending the weather there wasn't no use for any of them to try to hide themselves any more than it was for the other kind the women as a rule bore up better than the men it comes natural i suppose for a woman to be kind and silent and a pale and patient when she's suffering but the young lady wasn't that sort either she was as bright as a button all along you'd have to suppose from her face that she was having just the best kind of a time i can see her now standing before the stove roasting jackrabbits for the other supper some of the gentlemen had revolvers and when the snow got crusted over so they could walk on it they used to shoot them and we were glad enough for every one shot provisions were so scanty the last two days them rabbits in snow water melted in the pail over the stove was all we had to eat or drink i suppose there was nothing for you to do but to wait said miss vaughan no ma'am there wasn't nothing at all for me to do but to help the young lady now and then she let me help her more than the rest i used to think 
she had come to me and say, Mr. Scott, this rabbit is for you and the conductor. She never forgot anybody except herself. Once she asked me to hold the sick little girl while she took a sleep. It was a mighty pretty always to see her with them children. They never seemed to have enough of her. All of them wanted she should put them to bed and sing to them and tell them stories. Sometimes she'd just have all five swarming over her at once. I used to watch them. Well, how did it end? asked Miss Vaughn, as the engineer's voice, which had gradually grown lower and more dreamy, came to a stop. Eh? What? Oh, rousing himself. It ended with three locomotives, and a relief train from Cheyenne broke through to us on the eighth morning after we was abrogated. They brought provisions and coal, and we got on first rate after that. Did the sick lady die? No, ma'am, she was living. When I last heard of her down to Santa Barbara two years ago, that was. And what became of your young lady? She left at Sacramento. Her brother or someone was down to meet her. I saw him a moment. He didn't look like her. And you never saw her again? You never heard her name? No, ma'am, I never did. The engineer's voice sounded gruff and husky as he said this. He shoveled in coals with needless energy. Are you a married man? asked Miss Vaughn. The question sounded abrupt, even to herself, but seemed relevant to something in her mind. No. John Scott looked her squarely in the face as he replied. His countenance was rather grim and set, and for a moment she feared that she had offended him. Then, as he met her depreciating gaze, he reassured her with a swift smile. No, ma'am, I ain't. And I never shall be, as I know of, he added. Second rate wouldn't satisfy me now, I guess. He pulled the cord which hung ready to his head, and a long screeching whistle ran out over the plain and set the prairie dogs scuttling into their burrows. This is the feeding station we're coming to, he explained. Twenty minutes here for supper, ma'am, and it ain't a bad supper either. I reckon you'd like to have me help you down, wouldn't you? End of Engineer Story